It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. You're listening to MLB.com Extras, brought to you by MLB.tv. It's baseball everywhere. Welcome to MLB.com Extras, Tigers edition. MLB.com's Mark Feinsand caught up with Tigers Executive Vice President of Baseball Operations and General Manager Al Avila to discuss his father's influence on him, the emotions of his team drafting his son, and how good Michael Fulmer can be in the future. Al, you began your career as a coach at St. Thomas University, where you went to school. What made you decide to move from coaching to a big league front office career? Well, actually, uh, when I when I did graduate college, uh, you know, I was actually coaching at the same time. Um, my mind was always to go and work in professional baseball, um, but you know, because of the circumstances, that let me it led me back to college coaching, and I coached for several years, and I actually enjoyed it very much. But um, while I enjoyed it a lot, and it was probably one of the happiest times of my life because it was really a uh, I would say, looking back, it was really a, uh, for me, it was an important job because you had young, young men that they came in as freshmen and they left, you know, they came in, you know, as young men and they left as, you know, prepared men for, for, for regular life. And you, it, you went away with a good feeling about that. So it wasn't just about wins and losses. The wins and losses were more the, your own pressure. But, and all of that was fine, but, you know, inside I always wanted to go and test myself at, at the, you know, professional ranks and work in professional baseball. So uh, luckily for me, um, the Florida Marlins became an expansion franchise, and, uh, and, now, and I was able to get a, an opportunity there. Your father, Ralph, was a scout, signed a lot of players, including Pedro Martinez. What did you learn most from him that's helped you throughout your career? Well, I followed my, my father around a lot when I was a, when I was a kid. Um, when my father started, he was actually, he started as a bird dog uh, and covering the, uh, Florida. And then and he became a full-time scout for the Dodgers, and uh, he worked under Al Campanis. And he used to, he used to scout the, the, in Florida. Um, and so I used to follow him to, to the games. Because if I didn't do that, I would never see him. He was always at, you know, at a game in the afternoon or a game at night, weekends. So the only way I could, I could spend time with my dad was actually going to the baseball games with him. So I was able to see him, and when he, you know, back in those days, there's no computers or cell phones or anything like that. So he had to write everything down. So I remember, I remember the cards that he had where he wrote down the lineups, and then he would, he would write down, you know, height, weight, and all that, and then the comments. And then they have a grading scale, you know, for your arm, for your speed, for your power. And I, you know, when I was a kid, I was, I always watched him and how he would grade out guys, and then his comments about guys. So I got to see that at a very early age. You're talking about you know, 10, 11, 12 years old. So that's how I got to you know, start there. With the Marlins, you were director of Latin American operations. Uh, you helped sign Levon Hernandez. He obviously goes on to help win the, the World Series, wins the MVP in 1997 in the World Series. What impressed you most about him the first time you saw him? Well, with Levon, it was really uh, very interesting because Levon was on the junior national team you know, of 17 and 18 year olds. And that's where I saw him first and he was pitching in a, in a tournament, uh, international tournament in Mexico. 
Um, and even back then, he was throwing in, you know, the, the low to mid-90s. Um, so that's the first time I saw him. And from there, he went on to be on the national team because his, his, his half-brother, El Duque, was on that team. And El Duque was one of the oldest players. And when they took Levon, he was the youngest player on the team. I think at that time, he might have been 18 years old. And he was a legit 18, you know? Right. Not one of these guys that's 24. Right. And I, and, but he was a legit 18 because I, I had seen him before on the junior team. So I knew his age. And when he was there, I thought it was very impressive. And, and where I saw him the next time was in Venezuela. And they had an exhibition game. Team Cuba was there. And they played, uh, I believe they played in Caracas. And they played in Valencia. And they played a, a doubleheader in which Levon pitched uh, one game and El Duque pitched the other game. Um, and I got to see both guys pitch. And Levon at that age was, I mean, he dominated. And he was throwing in the mid-90s, 94 to 96, uh, with a really good curveball and changeup at that age. So that impressed me a lot, you know, at his age, at that level of competition. And then, and if you saw him pitch in, in that environment, he, he, it looked like he was pitching, you know, in his backyard. And that's what really turned me on to Levon. Must be really satisfying to, to see a guy like that, get him signed, and then have him go on to play such an important role during a championship run for your team. Yeah, but it wasn't always that easy because when we first saw, when we first got him, um, the very first spring training, you know, and we're supposed to win. Uh, he comes to camp, and at the very beginning, uh, we get off to a bad start. His eating habits weren't, weren't very good because, you know, he had just he defected from Cuba. He comes here, and now everything's new to him. You know, food, uh, I mean, everything. And, and it, took him a, it took a while to get adjusted. And he didn't make the club out of spring training. We had to send him back to AAA. He was very disappointed because he thought he was going to make the club. He had all the ability in the world to make the club from what he had done before. But the transition from def defective out of Cuba to come to the United States and be in a you know, free and open society, it, there was a learning curve for things off the field. Not to mention, you know, the, obviously the intricacies of baseball on the field. So he had a lot of learning to do. And um, he ended up going to AAA. We actually then demoted him to AA. Uh, so he ended up going to uh, Portland where we had our AA club and uh, we, our manager there, Carlos Tosca, um, got a hold of him and really... Uh, helped him along to where he was able to come back, you know, mid-season, and then the rest is history. Obviously, he pitched great for us. Another player you signed as a 16-year-old has gone on to have a decent career, Miguel Cabrera. Uh, could you tell when he was a teenager and you first saw him that he was going to be this type of player? Well, you know, Miguel is an interesting case because uh, John Henry had just bought the Marlins, and, and he wanted to be aggressive out there and, and, and get the best players. Um, and, um, and that was the mandate. At that point, I was a scouting director, you know, coordinating here the draft, plus also was in charge of the Latin American stuff. So I told the guys, go out there, you know, find the, the best players you can, and let's go after them. And, and they, they brought me to Miguel Cabrera. Uh, 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 Miguel Garcia, who, who works for me now, um, you know, uh, had, had followed him basically the whole year. So I went there. I saw him for the first time, and, you know, you can tell he was an advanced player as far as his hitting ability, uh, but he, has, he had great tools. He had a cannon for an arm. He had really uh, smooth hands. And even though he's a big guy and slow because his, his legs were very thick, he had good feet move. I mean, his feet moved very easy. So he was athletic, even though he was not, let's say, uh, a quick, fast guy. 
Uh, you could say he was more, his actions were more like smooth. But his hitting ability was there from day one. Um, you know, you can't say at 16 that, you know, we, we, we thought we were going to sign a Hall of Famer, a future Hall of Famer franchise player, but we thought we had a pretty good player, a, a, you know, a special player that was going to be real good. And, um, and obviously he, he developed into, a, you know, I guess a future Hall of Famer. You worked with Dave Dabrowski for more than 20 years between Florida and here. Uh, replacing him as Tigers GM, what, what was that like for you? Uh, well, uh, you know, I've been doing, I've been actually, I was, I've been Dave's assistant since the Florida Marlins days and followed him here for all these years. We've been here, I'm going on 16. So it was difficult because, you know, he's the guy that I started with and he's the guy that uh, obviously I learned a lot from. Um, and um, so the transition in that sense was not easy for me, but, you know, ownership makes a decision, they move on, and you have to be prepared to, to, to step in. Um, so like any transition, it's, it's, it's not always easy. This one was probably more difficult than, than, than most. Um, but I could say that at the very least, I was prepared to, to step in and do the job. So um, it was difficult in one sense, but in the other sense, um, you know, it, it was a smooth transition. What did it mean for you to become the first Cuban GM in history? You know, I never really looked at it that way. Um, it's funny because once I became the GM and people wrote, this guy's the first Cuban that, uh, and, you know, and, and, and then I started looking at it, I, I guess I am. So, <laughs> how about that? Yeah, how about that? So, um, but, you know, I was born in Cuba and my parents immigrated when I was two years old. So I grew up here and I've never really had that mentality like, uh, you know, being the first Cuban. I am very proud about, um, about it in the sense that from where I came up, I grew up in South Florida. Um, I have some friends, I have a lot of friends in baseball that grew up in South Florida. We have a pitching coach here in rookie ball, Mike Alvarez, who worked many, many years for the uh, for the Atlanta Braves. I mean, he was he, he had all kinds of jobs with the Atlanta Braves. Freddie Gonzalez also, you know, and and on and on, on. There's a lot of guys that that I grew up with um, over the years. So I'm kind of proud in that sense that coming out of that environment, little league baseball, high school baseball, you know, and then now this. So that that's kind of more my mentality than, than let's just say just being the first Cuban. Answer to a trivia question, if nothing else, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, 2008, you're the assistant GM here, and the Tigers draft your son, Alex. What are the emotions like when that happens? Yeah, that was actually a, a tough time for me because um, I, I didn't want us to draft him. Um, I, I didn't want to go through the scrutiny of, oh, you know, they're just drafting the guy's son and all that. Uh, but, um, you know, David Chad, who was one of my best friends in the game, and he was a scouting director at the time, um, basically, you know, we were in the meeting like we are in every meeting before the draft, and and we're and we're putting up there the names, and we're um, putting up putting them in preferential order. Well, he's in the in the slot where this is the best player available in this in this slot for us, and so his point was, if we don't take him, we're not taking the best player in this round, which we've done for the last 20 years. Right. So because he's your son, then we can't take him. And he said, that you're, you're doing a disservice to the organization. So he took him. And then, um, and obviously the rest is history because he didn't spend that much time in the Meyer Leagues. And, you know, Silver Slugger, all-star appearance, obviously. And here's a trivia question, and you can look it up, uh, because I was told he's caught more postseason games 
than any catcher in Tigers history. Wow. Yeah, which is, you know, I, I thought it was a pretty amazing thing considering how much we have, we've had some great catchers here over the years and Lance Parrish, Bill Freehand, you know, so uh, I thought that was an amazing thing. So he's done pretty well for himself. I can't tell if I'm talking to the Tigers GM or Alex's dad right now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so the two of you were on the same team through 2015, and then you let him leave as a free agent, signing with a division rival, no less, with the White Sox. How tough was that whole situation for you? Actually, at that moment, it wasn't tough because we were going through a transition here. Um, you know, uh, the, the team, obviously, we were disappointed that year, and – we ended up losing, and then obviously we made some trades along the way. That winter, um, I thought it, it was the best thing for the organization to, you know, start making some changes. Um, and so I would say he would be—he was one of the casualties in that. All right, we got to move on and uh, and see if we can change uh, the culture a little bit. Um, which, which you know, last year obviously we uh, we had a disappointing season because we wanted to get to the playoffs, um, where. This year it was different because um, we we're a little short in the, in the catching department. We didn't have a guy right now in AAA that we can that we can bring up. If we did, that would have been the best choice, but we didn't have that. So for us, we're looking for a veteran catcher that that uh, can come in and 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 lead the staff. He can hit left-handed, and he was the best fit. And if you really look out there. And if you look at our players and, and even from the people that know our, our organization for this year, he was the right fit. I was going to say, re-signing him in December must have made for a happier holidays for the family. Well, actually, my uh, my mother was the happiest person. Because <laughs> when, when we let him go, she was the most angry. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to upset your mom, that's for that's sure. That's right. Uh, you added an analytic department to the front office after you took over as the GM. There was a time in the not-too-distant past where some teams were looked at as analytic teams, some teams were looked at as scouting, you know, more reliant on scouting. Uh, do you think the league has done a good job pretty much in, in balancing the two at this point? The league? Well, teams. Oh, the teams. Around, teams around. Uh, well, I can't, I can't speak for other teams, um, but I say for us, that's, that, that's been our, um, our, our goal, is to be able to have that balance. Um, we've always been a, a, a scouting-heavy uh, organization and and we've kept that going because I, we've actually added more scouts and we're going to add even more as we go I just don't want to add a scout to add we want to add the right people you know but we're going to continue to be a, a, a scouting heavy organization we're going to add scouts however in saying that the our, one of our biggest goals uh, is to have our analytics catch up to our scouting and we've really moved fast. We've invested a lot of money. I mean, right now, uh, going on over a million dollars uh, in, um, in technology and in personnel. Um, I think right now we have well, I got, we have five people in the analytics department, uh, and we will be adding, you know, also. So we're really at the stage of infancy uh, with it, um, and our goal is to really be up 100% by the end of the year to where we can you know, we can develop our own in-house uh, uh, analytics, um, not just use outside uh, sources. So we're catching up, and it'll be, uh, it'll be well-balanced between that and scouting. And, it, and it, what it does, it just helps you make better decisions, whether it be for the amateur draft, whether it be to, you know, trades that you make, um, free agent signings. It can also help out signing six-year minor league free agents. There, you know, it's a plethora of, of, of areas where the, um, 
the uh, numbers can give you a, a good insight on what could be a good move or not as in combination with your scouts reports and, and things of that nature so it's a good combination do you think teams right now are out there looking for the next thing I mean, it seems like analytics were only a handful of teams were using them for a while 10 15 20 years ago then it started getting you know more uh, common do you think teams are out there looking well, for that next advantage well i i think there's always teams looking for that next advantage but there's also a lot of companies out there um uh, advertising they have the next thing and you know out of 20 things that come through your desk you know if one sticks it's really you know you're really lucky you know <laughs> because there's so much out there right now people are selling so many things and a lot of it really is not good it doesn't make any sense but I'll, I'll give you a good sense of analytics okay you know you, we talk about today and I was just talking about it downstairs with the staff we talk about exit velocity when a hitter hits the ball and and you won't believe me this but when I first started with the Florida Marlins the guy who hired me his name was Angel Vasquez he may rest in peace he died many years ago uh, he's the one that brought me into the Marlins and and taught me the ropes in Latin America and, and, and scouting and stuff like that and um, he he was the first guy that I ever, ever remember talking about exit velocity. Now, he didn't say exit velocity, but the way he, what, the way he taught me was, and, 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 it's, you know, and it's very crude, is that to get behind a screen okay, with a radar gun, put a ball on the tee, or you can soft toss the ball to the batter, and then put the radar gun on behind him so when the guy, when the guy hit the ball that I can catch the, ball, the flight of the ball with my radar gun and see and measure, okay? And if that ball said, if he, get, if he hit it off the tee or off the soft toss and it said 90 miles an hour, he said, you got a guy that, that's got a good swing, you know, that, could, that, that has good exit velocity. He didn't, he didn't use exit velocity, sure. but he said he, he, hits, the ball he hard. hits the ball hard, <laughs> you know? So he told me 90 is, is a good number. Now, obviously, if you get a pitch ball, you know, you're going to get probably more exit velocity. So... Uh, so he was the first guy that I could ever remember saying, measure the, 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 the ball coming off the bat. And that was a long time ago. So that's 25 years ago. 25 years ago. And then we're talking about also using the radar gun uh, to measure a guy's arm. You know, a, a catcher that threw 85 had a, good, had a real good arm. Uh, an outfielder throwing from, let's say, right field across the diamond to the third base, which that's what, how you do a workout. 90 miles an hour was, was what you're looking for. You know, a shortstop, you're looking for about 88 miles an hour. Uh, so we were using those measurements way back when, before there was track man and all that stuff. So now some people thought I might have been nuts because I would be behind screens and stuff with my radar gun all <laughs> over the field, you know, when we're doing workouts. Right. But, that, but we were doing that back then. Uh, well, now terms like exit velocity are, are a lot more common, and MLB StatCast has really made them available to the public. Mm -hmm. Do you think it's changed the way fans are looking at the game? I think so, yes, because uh, now, um, you know, you're watching TV, okay, and you're watching the game, obviously, but now once the guy hits the ball, you know, you'll see on the screen the launch angle of the ball, the exit velocity of the ball, uh, when a pitcher is pitching, you'll you'll be able to see you see on TV, you know, spin rate, and, and so it's described to you uh, verbally. It's it's you're 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 watching it visually, so you're not just watching the actual game, but you're watching all those other all that other information as the game goes on. And I think it makes it makes the game interesting um, to look at it, you know, in all different ways. At the end of the day, though, it's really fun to watch the game, though. 
If you're enjoying this Mark Feinstein interview, make sure you check out all the great conversations featured in the MLB.com Newsmakers podcast. You'll hear Mark and other MLB.com reporters chat with baseball's brightest stars of today and the past, as well as the game's best broadcasters and writers. You can download MLB.com Newsmakers today on iTunes or wherever else you get your podcasts by searching Newsmakers. Now, back to Mark Feinsand. How, how do you think your views or philosophies towards the game have changed from the start of your career to now? The philosophies? Well, uh, I, I got to say that in baseball, you know, things are ever-changing. Usually things don't stay the same for a long period of time. Um, and, um, you know, it, it, how, how the game is played from, let's say, years ago where, uh, you know, the, the development of, uh, let's say, uh, your bullpen before guys, your starting pitchers, you know, you, you, you want, you wanted them to go nine innings, you know, and your bullpen was your weakness. And that even in the minor leagues, you know, you had the, the, the ace stud start a game and then nobody was hitting it, you know, through the fifth inning. And then in the minor leagues, you might take the guy after six. Well, that's when you get, that's when now you're going to gear up and you're going to get, you know, tear up the, the bullpen. That doesn't even happen in the minor leagues now because now your bullpen is really strong and you're planning maybe your, your starter is going to go five, six if you're lucky, and then the bullpen comes in, and now now it's now you don't even stand a chance to where before you were waiting for the bullpen to come in, and that's where you had your chance to, to catch up or go ahead. So in that sense, of course, baseball has completely changed. Um, plus also, you know, uh, you went from then having that elite reliever like an Eckersley uh, where he pitched multiple innings. You can pitch three innings and save you that game uh, to where you had the one-inning specialist. Now, you saw last year, you know, how Andrew Miller was used on multiple innings and even Chapman. So, baseball's ever-changing, whether it be your bullpen or, you know, back in the Oral Weaver days, you wait for that three-run homer. Um, you know, now it's like they want guys to get on base. Guys that get on base are more valuable, you know, per se, than a guy that is perceived more valuable than a guy that can drive in RBIs. Now, if you tell Jim Leland that, he'll tell you you're nuts. He says, I want guys that can drive in RBIs. But so you're always going to have a debate like that, you know. So on, on, um, you know, on a different front, you know, from a, from a major league point of view, um, you know, right now, because I, I think the cost of the game or in, the, in, the, in the payrolls and the salaries, obviously people covet young players under control even though they may not have done a whole lot yet, you know, um, and they come with that more so than, let's say, a, a seasoned veteran that has years of proven production. Uh, but, of course, those guys are going to be very expensive. So you have all kinds. You know, now you have a lot of teams that that's what they do. They, 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 um, they sign and develop players, and at a certain point they, they trade them for the younger players, and, and they are ever-evolving like that. Um, and of course, you have more teams like like us that we've been accumulating, you know, veteran players that are proven. And uh, but eventually that catches up to you too. So that's why baseball is ever changing. You never you never stay the same. And that's what I'm trying to bring now to this organization, saying we're going to have to be changing at some point. You know, a couple of years ago, you guys traded, you know, Cespedes, David Price, and and Joaquim Soria before the trade deadline, despite being within relative striking distance of a playoff spot. How tough, was a, how tough of a call is that when you're sort of 
close but not there, and you have to decide at some point there before the deadline whether to be a buyer or seller. That was a very tough call. Uh, however, there are certain circumstances that led to that. One of them is um, the, the team has some flaws in it that uh, were going to be hard to overcome. Uh, they were going to be hard to overcome because we would need to make some trades to acquire some, some, some players or a player or two that we needed to take us over the hump. We didn't, our farm system was pretty weak, and we didn't really have, let's say, the quality of players that we would need to go out and get that type of player. That was one aspect of it. Um, and even if we could I even identify some, somebody that somebody would have interest in, it would have depleted the, our situation even more so. So that in itself was a problem. Um, and so uh, that really made it a little bit easier in that sense that um, uh, we, we just felt that we didn't have the, 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 you know, the, 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 the you know, complete team to really take us all the way. And we, we were weak in that sense where we just didn't feel we had the players uh, or enough to, to be able to make a, a good trade. So... At that point, we arguably we had what you could arguably say the best pitcher in baseball that was available in David Price, the best hitter in baseball available. So we had the perfect storm to make a really good trade, and you know, and Dave hit. I mean, he we we did a good job, and uh, and even with Joaquin Soria, so um, it actually worked out for us because um, if it wasn't for some of those guys, we you know we right now we'd be in pretty deep trouble. Of course, one of the players who got back in, in uh, the Cespedes trade was Michael Fulmer, who won Rookie of the Year last year. Exactly. How much better do you think he can get? Oh, I think he's just starting to, you know, touch what he can do. Um, last year, in spring training, he was one of the first guys we sent back to minor league camp because he was he was not very good. I mean, he had he had the physical ability, he had the heavy fastball. But his secondary pitches weren't there, um, and he was struggling. And so, in order to get him more innings and get him more work and get him his, you know, get his developing development going, we had to send him back. And that was probably the best thing we did because he's got he got his work in in there, and he started to um, develop his other pitches. Um, we actually brought him up a lot faster than we would like to because he wasn't a finished product. Uh, he became more of a finished product once he got here. But so he was learning on the job. You know, we were pushing him to throw that change up more, a pitch that at that point he wasn't comfortable yet because he hadn't commanded it yet. He was still learning it, and he ended up learning it at the big major league level. So that tells you of his courage. Also, um, you know, you got to carry him in a wheelbarrow. That's how big they were. Um, to where, to where, um, you know, we were pushing him to throw that pitch, and you know, and for. Give credit to him, he did it, you know, and, and he got better as the season wore on. So that's where he's at. So, he, I mean, so you could imagine, you know, he'll get better even more so uh, as he gets more experience. When this offseason began, you said you wanted the team to become younger and leaner, and you said you wanted to, quote, run the organization without having to go over our means. Uh, do you feel you accomplished all those things this winter? No, obviously not, because when I made those comments, I also explicitly explained that we may not be able to do anything this winter, and this was probably going to be a two, three, maybe even a four-year process, um, because you just don't flip over your roster in one winter. 
uh, and particularly if you if uh, if you, if, if you don't want to lose a hundred <laughs> over hundred games. So um, so obviously that uh, this winter didn't uh, it didn't pan out that way because there was a market change. You know we were talking about how baseball is ever changing. The market was completely different. In, in the winter of 2016 than it was in, in 15. Um, in 15, you saw some of the contracts that were given. Um, you know, you saw the Hayward contract, us with Upton. You saw, you saw uh, Davis. I mean, big contracts. Lat this year, I mean, what happened? Okay, so there was guys after that, you know, hit a lot of home runs and drove in a lot of RBIs looking for a job late in the year and then didn't get the, the money that they, they thought. And so just like us, and thinking, well, maybe we can make a trade here, a trade there to get a little bit younger, a little bit leaner. There's also other teams that are doing the same thing that, quite frankly, they weren't able to do it like we weren't able to do it because there's not enough teams that wanted those kind of players or were willing to give you a good return in some of those players. So we were not able to make a good baseball trade. So luckily for us, ownership never demanded for us to dump salary because that was never the intent. Um, so we figured let's stay the course and let's play it out. And uh, we felt we had a good team uh, still. Uh, you know, J.D. Martinez and Upton are in the primes of their careers. Um, you got uh, Nick Castellanos that was about to have a breakout season, we felt, before the, his injury, and, and, and he's going to have a, a great year, we felt. Um, you know, Ian Kinsler, uh, he's a veteran player, but played probably one of the best uh, – Years of his career was last year. Uh, Iglesias, you know, has been an all-star. We got an up-and-coming catcher. Um, that young rotation with those young pitchers, with uh, with Verlander and the you know the the um, you know former rookie of the year, and then uh, Zimmerman's health uh, healthy. We felt we had we had some we had pretty good pitching. So we felt uh, instead of being hasty and making some rash decisions because hey, we I said this and this is what we're going to do. No, let's. It just didn't work out that way. Let's just stay the course and let's see what happens this year. Uh, and this is going to be a process. It ain't gonna ha- it's not going to happen overnight. And you got the new backup catcher too. And we got the new yeah, exactly <laughs> that, that. That was like a, that was like a good ad- uh, the best addition at this point. That's right. So there was a perception in the fall and in the off season that you guys were preparing for this fire sale that that everybody must go. Yeah, but the only thing is, see, the, the it was never the media portrayed it as a fire sale. We never said fire sale. We said if we could make a some a couple of good baseball trades to get a little bit uh, younger and leaner, then we would obviously look look into that. We never picked up the phone and started pushing players because that's a fire sale. When you pick up the phone and you say, "Hey, everybody's available," we you know we're dumping salary. Right. That's a fire sale. We never said that. We never intended to say that. What we I don't even know how that 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 word got out there. But all of a sudden, it you know I think it was more national media than than our local media because our local writers we set them down and and we talked it over at the end of the season, midway through at the winter meetings, and even afterwards, you know, they understood the plan, you know, and they understood, hey, this is not a fire sale. They know what we were trying to do. And when, quite frankly, the, the, the deals were not there to be made, they also understood how the market changed, and particularly after the, you know, the, the basic, uh, the, uh, the, the agreement between the Players Union and, and right. MLB. A lot of things changed. So, you know, you're not going to go crazy and just start dumping because we, we said we're not going to do that. We, we still want to have a pretty good team um, because if we would have made the kind of trades or trade that we're envisioning, we would have still had a good team, except that instead of maybe a more veteran guy, you would have had a more younger guy. Because for me, and, and this is one of the things that I've learned uh, over the years, is 
you always want to try to bring up and bring in young talent because that's how you manage your payroll, bringing in a, a good young player every so often. And that's a very important for an organization to maintain success. You've got to be able to bring in young, young talent. So you've got to draft them. You've got to sign them in Latin America. You've got to develop them. You've got to try to keep the best ones. Or if you can, make a trade of a veteran guy to a younger guy and plug in a guy every, every so often to be able to manage that payroll. You know, that's why they got guys like the Nick Castellanos of the world and the McCanns of the world, uh, and not to mention, you know, our, our, the, the pitching that, that we've developed over time. Like, you know, you, talk, you can go back and say Rick Porcello, uh, uh, you know, and guys like that. You've got to plug in those kind of guys that are low-salary guys that can produce at a high level and keep you winning, you know, and that's kind of like, you know, what you try to do. So when word does get out there, whether it's correct or not, do you start getting, does your phone start getting blown up from other GMs inquiring about some of your bigger names? Well, it, it, uh, I, I can tell you that this winter did not blow up, no. Maybe not with deals you'd like, but were people, I mean, were you receiving interest in I would say, you I would say, was, I would say that uh, when people f figured out that, you know, we're, we're open for, uh, to listen, uh, we did get some inquiries, but um, I, I would say it was moderate to mild. It wasn't a, like a frenzy by any means at all. You recently compared Brad Osmus to Joe Torre, uh, noting his lack of emotion in the dugout, considered an even keel. What do you like most about Brad as manager? Well, first of all, he's very smart. I mean, he's a, he's a I mean, he's an intellectual really, uh, mixed with with a with a baseball rat type of uh, um, personality. You know, so he's got that mix of intellect, you know, really smart guy, but he's got the baseball rat in him that, you know, like Cleveland likes to call certain guys a dirt ball, you know, and so he's got that mix. That's a tremendous mix. You know, that's a lot of experience um, on, the, on the playing field. Um, and so he can, he can pick out a player and see what he's doing wrong and help him correct it. Uh, so he's really good at that, whether it be pitchers or catchers, position players, hit, hitters, and he's involved in every aspect of that. He knows the rules real well. He knows the game real well. Uh, you're not going to get a smarter guy, you know. Now, you can all, you know, you, part of the, the criticism that he's received over the years, obviously, is, well, he didn't have experience. He didn't know how to handle the pitchers and all that. And that could all be true to a certain degree, but that was four years ago. You know, right now, what the experience that he's gained um, is invaluable. And right now, he is he is a really good manager as far as managing the game and being prepared for the next hitter, uh, for the next pitcher, and things of that nature. Uh, because he has uh, the ability to learn and retain, and he has. And right now, I can tell you, he's he's good. Um, so um, we we it was a, it was his training ground. And now what he's learned, I'm not going to give that up, right? Um, the other criticism that he's so, – so it's really not fair to criticize him like that any, any longer because, quite frankly, he's, he's learned what he has to learn. Um, a, lot of the, a lot of the blame sometimes that he can get, you know, just like with any manager, you know, you, you make a pitching change and it blows up in your face. Well, quite frankly, you know, last year we had a lot of issues with our pitchers. We had a lot of injuries. So in, man, in maneuvering – that whole season, to me, was you know a minor miracle. I mean, to overcome the injuries and the and the poor performances that we had of some of the players, how can you blame that on him? 
It's not on him. As a matter of fact, he did a great job in maneuvering through all that stuff. That was my opinion. You know, the other stuff, you can put it on me, you know. Um, and I'm, I'm just being honest. I mean, I've, I've been honest and transparent from the day I took the job. Um, now, the other criticism you might get of him is people say, well, he's not emotional enough. You know, uh, we want to see emotion. We want to see him yelling and screaming and, uh, and arguing with umpires. Well, you know what? In today's game, there is no yelling and screaming at umpires. Right. Because first of all, you can't argue balls and strikes because the minute you go out there, boom, you're out of the game. Right. There's no there's no argument anymore in plays in the uh, uh, on any of the bases because you get instant replay. So you're basically looking in the dugout waiting for your guy to tell you, yeah, challenge it or not. There, so there's no arguing, you know. So in that sense, you know, why argue? Now, do you want to see a guy uh, when he gets a base hit in an RBI, a guy raw raw on the top of the stairs, clapping and yelling, yeah, yeah, you know? Well, he's not that kind of guy. But I can tell you that he can get on your butt when he has to. You know, and he can patch in the butt when he has to. So these are things that make him a good manager. Um, but you're not, I mean, I guess the eruption last year when at home play we took off his shirt, it really made everybody excited. It made me excited. And I'm like, man, that's great. I, <laughs> 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 that, saved, that saved you for another month. <laughs> so, uh, but anyway, I'm just joking about that. But um, um, so he brings a lot of good qualities. And, um, I think the players love him. I think the staff that works around around him love him. Um, and um, he's made a good impression. Two more questions for you. What's 2017 going to be like this season without Mike Yellich around? Very sad. Uh, he, he's, missed, he's missed so much, right, even right now, because obviously every year he would come to spring training. It's been a few days here. Um, and for me... You know, I deep dinner with him before, almost not every game, but before most games. Um, and you know, when the team is when the team wasn't doing well, he made you still he made you feel good. So he understood the game and why you're not playing well. And he also understood, okay, how we're going to make it better. So he'd work with you, you know. And um, uh, so he'll be, it's, I mean, deeply missed because um, I mean it. You can blow a lot of smoke. This is, you know, this guy was legit. This guy's for real, in that he was a real uh, compassionate man. Very smart. He knew it. He knew what was going on, and if and he knew if things go, went well or didn't go well, he knew why. But he always made it made you feel good, you know. And um, he's going to be, and particularly when the season starts, he'll be missed a lot because it, it, you just got used to him eating with you and talking and and it wasn't always baseball sometimes he just you know he, he'd like to lighten things up you know so i'm going to miss that personally um because obviously it, it was a calming effect on me during the season the baseball season really can get get you really tight wound up tight you know um where um it's tough to get through a game much not much less a season and he made it a lot easier for you you know, so he will be deeply missed. Last one, the American League has been represented in the World Series by teams in your division for the last three years, Royals twice, the Indians last year. How much more competitive has this division become over the, in recent years with some of these teams really, uh, you know, hitting their stride? It's, it's, I, I, it's, I've been saying it. It's been, the, uh, if not the best, uh, certainly among the best in all of baseball for many, many years because the Royals have been tremendous. Cleveland's been tremendous. The White Sox are always trying to, to you know, to, to get better all the time. Uh, and even Minnesota, 
Um, you know, people always leave them behind. But Minnesota uh, this year particularly is going to have a good team, a good, a good young team, and they've always given us trouble. So our division is it's like, man, it's, a, it's one of the toughest ones. I, I even look at other divisions in the National League, and, and I'm like, man, if we were over here, maybe we, maybe we would have won right. 100 games instead of 88 or 86, right. you know. Uh, but, uh, yeah, our, our division is really tough. And then, you know, uh, the American League in general is tough. You look at, you know, the East and look at the Red Sox. I mean, it's, uh, it's hard to win a game. You know, that's how, that's how competitive it is. Al, thanks very much for your time. Good luck. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team.